Daniel 6. So let me just read, if you don't mind. I'm reading from the New King James. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over those three governors of whom Daniel was one that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. And we'll explain what that means as soon as we're done here reading this. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom... The administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled, and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, Oh, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. <coughs> Excuse me. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not change. 
Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, <laughs> them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom as the one is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Fascinating stuff. It really is. It really is. So let's look at this. Here's a quick summary. Uh, let me move this. Oh, I guess it's not all the way on. So Daniel chapters 1 through 6 are about historical facts, pretty much. Maybe with the exception of uh, chapter 2, at least in part. But most of chapter 2 has already happened. But we'll get into that a little bit next time we meet when we get into chapter 7, because chapter 2 and chapter 7 kind of dovetail together nicely. So Daniel 1 through 6 are about historical facts regarding Daniel and the Babylonian kingdom, which now has become the Medo-Persian king. Daniel 7 through 12, and again these are chapters, is predictive prophecy for the most part. There are a few exceptions in there, but most of it is what's happening in the future. Daniel 6 deals with Daniel thrown into the lion's den. No, that's not going to work. I realize what the problem is. It's, it's over here, but that's okay. Thank you anyway. Appreciate it. I, um, I stretch the... Uh, the text box, so it's okay. Oh, so Daniel 6 deals with Daniel thrown into the lion's den, and that's what we just read. And it's an interesting thing. And as I was reading it, I thought to myself, how faithful would I be in that same situation? Would I be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from chapter 3? Would I be like Daniel chapter 6? How faithful would I be? Would I be like Peter who said, hey, you know what? 
I will follow you anywhere. I'll never deny you. And then turn around and deny him? What is in here? What is in here? And that's a question I think we all have to ask. So the other satraps were jealous of Daniel. Why? Because they're looking at him. There's going to be three governors, right? Let me turn back. Three governors and a bunch of satraps. So these satraps, let me see if I can get to that verse again real quick. Yeah. What translation do you use in the use of the word satrap? Uh, New King James Version. Okay, I've got princes. Oh yeah, yeah NIV, same kind of thing. NIV says satraps too. Mm-hmm. So he placed 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors, of which Daniel was one. But now he'd gotten to the point and said, you know this Daniel, he's got such character, he's so full of integrity, I trust him with my life. Maybe I'm going to put him over everybody. And of course, gosh, the others just didn't like that idea. It was a threat to their existence. It was a threat because there was probably some anti-Semitism involved here because when they came to the king, they said, notice what they said. Uh, uh, Where was it? Sorry. Trying to find it real quick. When they said, he's, yeah. Oh, thank you. Where he talks about the fact that, uh, no, it's on, uh, it's getting there. Oh, yeah. You're right, 13. Thank you so much. Sure. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, that Daniel. Yeah. Can you hear it? Oh, that Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah. What is it? What are they trying to say there? He's nothing. He is a prisoner. He was taken from his homeland as a captive. And now you want to give him tremendous privileges that he really hasn't earned and doesn't deserve. We, on the other hand, without saying any of this, they're implying, look, we're the ones who are the actual part of the Medes and the Persians. That's us. Why are you giving it to an outsider? And if they could have said a Jew no less, they would have. But they implied it here. So, they were jealous because he Imagine, though, how... Daniel's got something going for him. Uh, I mean, he's got God, of course. Yes. I mean, he's got, obviously has a skill set. Oh, he does. Yeah. Must be probably genius level intelligent. Uh, But, I mean, because before Darius, he got along with Nebuchadnezzar. He did. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and... That whole deal with Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was a really tricky situation for him. It Daniel. was. It was. But look uh, at somehow he got past all of that with his life. Uh, yeah, he did. And look at uh, Joseph. Same thing happened with Joseph. And so I think probably the big deal here is God used Joseph, God used Daniel for very specific purposes. And I think part of the. Um, respect others had for him is because God provided that. I mean, the way he was able to, in Joseph's case, turn the jailers, not against him, but really for him. And I think the same thing happened there. But also, don't forget, Daniel, um, and we don't know too much about Joseph, but he probably did the same thing. Daniel was very specific 
in the way he honored the king. And so I, I think that built the trust in so that Darius, I think Darius considered him a friend yeah. as yeah, well as yeah. and, a, and a confidant. He must have had, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is just a, a very unique personality plus skill. I mean, he had the, oh, whole, yeah. act, he the whole ball of wax. So and and God was with him. I mean, he had the ability to, you know, tell somebody to go to a very hot place and look forward to the trip, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. Just, I, I don't know, it's just amazing. What I find interesting with both Joseph and Daniel, not that they were not sinners. They were sinners because they're human beings. Yeah. But there is no hint. There's no hint in either case of the sin that of any kind of immorality no, nothing. or any kind of uh, No, you weakness. go through the entire book of Daniel, there's nothing. You can't go back and say, "Oh, there's where Daniel made his mistake." It's not there. You can't go back to the book of jo uh, where Joseph was in Genesis and go in chapter 37 onward and go, "Oh, that's where Joseph made his mistake. He sinned right there." We don't have that. That's not to say they didn't sin. It's to say that that wasn't part, I mean, in that way, they're both a type of Christ in that way. Yeah. And Daniel's, we'll see Daniel here in the lion's den also being a type of Christ. All right, so in the introduction, Daniel's, this is kind of an outline here. Daniel's success, verses 1 to 3. Darius signs a decree and Daniel takes his stand, verses 4 to 10. Commentators have said this is a very chiastic structure. You'll look at this and then you'll see this at the end as well. So it kind of goes through here. The next one, Daniel's colleagues plan his death, 11 through 15. You know, you talk about persecution. Um, persecution is in many forms. It can be office persecution, political persecution, religious persecution. Christians face it. They just face it. The, um, we support a um, missionary family. In, I think I may have mentioned this, I forget in um, Turkey and I won't mention their names because this is going out on video onto the internet but they have to be extremely careful so they had an event in which I forget Sylvia do you remember how many Muslims showed up 4,000 4,000 Muslims came to their event it was a Christmas event they, they were thinking maybe 20 40 <coughs> people might come right it was a Christmas event so they got to witness to people. They got to explain their position in Christ. The, uh, the wife is, uh, was Muslim most of her life. She obviously became a Christian. But what's fascinating about this is after the event, they got a letter from the government basically saying, we have our eyes on you. We are watching what you're doing. Because we know why those Muslims who came to that, 4,000 of them, um, if they decide to quote-unquote change religions, what do they face? Execution. So it, it's a very... Yes. Oh, yes. I, I know that Turkey is an, is it an Islamic state. Pretty much. I know yeah. that... Uh, what's the guy's name? The president wants it to become Erdogan. an Islamic state. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of there's an is there's a lot of Islamic rule there. But even if they didn't face yeah. death, they would face because they're they're just visiting with the visas. They would face expulsion. They would face political pressures. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. So anyway, um, yeah, they still want the Western money though. What's that? I mean, Istanbul is a 
significant still, a significant tourist destination. They still want Western money. Oh, you know, they hadn't closed it off. Well, who knows what's going to happen. It's not a closed society, at least not yet. Not yet. All right, so Daniel's colleagues plan his death, and that obviously was a form of persecution based on their jealousy, based on their anti-Semitism, based on whatever. Darius hopes for Daniel's... See, Darius wasn't too smart here. They catered to his vanity. Just like the previous people in uh, chapter 3 catered to Nebuchadnezzar's vanity with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so it's the same setup. It's the exact same setup. So Darius hopes for Daniel's deliverance. His goal is, I've got to figure out some way to save this guy. I like him as a friend. He's a confidant. I trust him implicitly. He's helpful to me in the kingdom, in the governorship of this kingdom. So he, he racked his brain. Darius witnesses Daniel's deliverance from 19 to 23, and Daniel's colleagues meet their death, verse 24, and then it concludes with um, Darius signs another decree and takes his stand, and then again, we read about Daniel's successes. It opens this section, this chapter with Daniel's successes, and it ends with Daniel's successes. All right, so let's continue here. Daniel 6, 1-2. When the Medo-Persian alliance, this is a little bit of history for us, but it helps us to kind of see where things are going. When the Medo-Persian alliance overthrew Babylon, as you can imagine, it gained tremendous territory. It was already fairly large, but now it's got Babylon. So they just added to it. That's all they did. And then um, the next one came along was Alexander the Great. He added, he took over all that and then added to it. And then the next one was the Roman Empire, chapter 2, and we'll see this again in chapter 7. And the Roman Empire, what? Took over everything that was existing and added to it. They even took over North Africa. I mean, it was a huge, huge empire. This is how it was done. It became the largest empire in the world at that point. Much of modern Turkey is included, including ancient Lydian Empire. So Turkey has always been in the center of this Medo-Persian area of the world. It included Egypt, parts of India, and North Africa. So again, by the time we get to the Roman Empire, everything had ex been expanded, and the Romans continued to expand into the UK, into areas of France and Spain. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing what they did. So, to control this vast empire and Darius, and probably, I was looking this up, and you know, Darius and Cyrus, it's a little bit confusing sometimes. They're probably two different people. And Darius was probably a guy named Gobrius of Gutium. That's who Darius was. Darius was most likely a title, kind of like Caesar, kind of like, uh, you know, and if you look at the Roman Empire, Caesar is the big cheese. Over the whole thing. Yeah. But then you have people like Herod, Pontius Pilate, and a bunch of other you know, people who took care of parts of the empire. Why'd they do that? Because they didn't have phones. They didn't have airmail. They didn't have computers. So everything was feet on the ground. There is no way that Caesar could have controlled the entire Roman Empire from Rome. It would not have worked. 
So these people realize, okay, well, we've got to get our people. It's just like the World Economic Forum when Klaus Schwab says, we've got, we've got our people. You know, it's like, we have our people in most of the main governments of the world. Canada, there's some in the United States, there's some this, that, and the other thing. Why? Because it gives Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum control of those governments and those areas. And he doesn't have to do it. How did they get this control? Well, they put them through um, the Young Globalists, whatever it's called. Young yeah. Global Leader. Yeah, thank you. Young Global Leaders. And there's been a number of governors, like the governor of California. <laughs> He's gone through it. Good old Nissen. Yeah. He's Nikki gone through it. Oh, she did. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that most of her donors are mega Democrats and she passes herself off as a Republican, but that's okay. So anyway, this guy Darius, he was not stupid, and he understood that, you know what, I've, I've got to get some satraps. I've got to have people over under me, but over certain areas who will report to me, and then I'm going to have governors, three governors over all of them, and they're going to answer to the governors, and then I'll get the reports from the governors instead of me having to listen to 120 or 127 safe traps. So there were 127 provinces in just the empire, just Babylon. That's how big that place was. Now this does not include the entire Medo-Persian empire. And as historians point out, whoops, as historians point out, um, Darius was king over the old Babylonian Empire. He didn't control the entire Medo-Persian Empire. That's where Cyrus came in, who called himself the King of Kings. Darius would have answered to Cyrus, who was in charge of all of it. Oh. Okay? So, this is really important. So those these satraps reported to three commissioners, and Daniel was one of them, and as we explained, Darius is like, you know, I want this guy to be my top guy. So, just like is this Joseph. an appointment? Excuse me? Is he appointed by Cyrus? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah it was like Joseph. When Pharaoh said, you're going to be my second. The only way, I'm, I'm, I'm still greater than you, but you're my second. You're my second. So it was the same exact kind of thing. And over what you, time, what do you, what? Uh, okay, sorry. I have so many questions. <laughs> That's okay. I probably don't know half the answers. Uh, but earlier in the book of Daniel, you know, with the whole Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and the yeah, the hand, the, the unseen hand, and the all that, that right on the wall, blah blah blah. Okay. We, historically, we know that that very night is when the Babylonian Empire was overthrown. Correct. Okay. That's when Belshazzar was killed. If you look at history apparently you know this walled city they finally found a way inside so right they diverted the river and they went in and killed all these people uh during the dark of night and basically they woke up and new people are in charge mm -hmm. that quick mm -hmm. okay so right. in respect to that event when is this happening 
when is this happening? Yes, after yeah. that. This is, of course, happening way after this. Like, why? Like I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I don't know the answer to that uh, exactly, but it did happen later. And what's interesting well, is... Yeah, obviously, but... Yeah, okay. I don't know how far. Okay. I could look that up if you'd like. You said you wouldn't know. I did. I, I warned you. <laughs> you didn't say that. I did. Okay. So when we get to Chapter 7, what's really interesting, and we'll, we won't do that tonight, but of course when we get to Chapter 7, we actually go back, backwards, to the first year of Belshazzar's reign. And remember way back, you may or may not remember this, when I passed out that outline, it said this is not all chronological here in Daniel. So yeah. Well, what I'm curious is what happened in the interim, you know? We, you yeah, know, there's all of, well, there's No, what I'm saying is we don't have everything. His, historically, you know, there's got to be all of this initial unrest and uneasiness. Oh, yeah. Amongst the populace, got these new guys in charge. Oh, yeah. Maybe Daniel, that's when Daniel steps in and confides with the new guy I say hey don't worry i've got this yeah we've been really, running the show here we'll continue to run the show we don't somehow really know he gets he on Darius's good side yeah. it could be but i also yeah. think that like joseph god oh yeah you know blessed daniel enough because why because daniel like joseph was really faithful that's why yeah. and, and that's a good that's a good thing we need to ask just ourselves Excuse me? I'm just curious as to how it went down. Yeah, well, the That's problem is... expressed here. Right, yeah. but the problem is there's not... There are some empty places in Scripture that God doesn't yeah. tell us to. Yeah. So, That's I mean, that I would have to be extra... Yeah. Extra biblical. All right. Darius then chose to place Daniel over all commissioners. That's what he wanted to do. And satraps, at least in the province of Babylonia. Remember, that's what he controlled. Cyrus basically said, you're in charge of Babylonia, what used to be Babylonia. You deal with it and make sure that they are favorable to me. So that was his job. That's what, that was Darius's job. So in verses 4 through 9, we talked briefly about this. There was like, I, I'm, I'm sure there was some anti-Semitism. If, if it wasn't overt anti-Semitism, it was like, who is this guy? He's a prisoner. He shouldn't be above us. What does Darius think he's doing? But, of course, they went to the king. Oh, king, live forever. And then they just, you know, they basically trapped him. And Darius, unfortunately, was unable to see it at that time because they approached it through his vanity. Just a side note here, looking yep. at my, my notes, and this is MacArthur, so I tr kind of trust it. Me too. Um, he says Daniel over 80. The guy he is. is already 80. He is in his 80s at this point, yes. Can you imagine? So imagine his, and it was shortly after this that he quote-unquote retires, but what's amazing is how long. He was taken from Jerusalem when he was probably 17 to 18 years old. Yeah with his friends and now here he is he had lived his entire life outside of his homeland but God had blessed him because of his faithfulness and for what gosh 60 years at least more than 60 years that's how faithful he was and God used him in so many different ways it's absolutely amazing and, and we know throughout the book of Daniel this is what we see his integrity <laughs> repeatedly repeatedly now his advanced age see you you got it right before I did he's in his 80s at this point you know I'm 66 and sometimes I, I said to my wife I said I'm tired <laughs> we were working like all day yesterday yeah. just going from one project to the next and I'm like 
I need to sit down. You're chopping up trees. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your son come over, and then he's, he's he chops down a tree for me. And while he's there, I, which I loved, he's he's got this maul, this splitting maul, and he's telling me how to use it. And he goes, now here's what you look for. You look for this circle here, and there's always a crack through here, and you just try and hit it like that. It's just fascinating stuff. So I tried it yesterday. I went out and bought a mall, and I tried it, and it was just absolutely amazing how easily and quickly it, it just fell apart. Matter of fact, Sylvia, I even did one. she goes, I'd like to try that. And I said, okay. And she was able to split a piece, but it was just nice. fun stuff. As long as you got a good straight piece of wood, it'll do that. Yes. You one that's all knotted up. <laughs> oh, no, we, we tossed some of those over to the yeah, fence. Yeah, we, we had just decided we're not using them. So he was in his knees, and the accuser's plan was, again, very similar to the plan against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel 3. It's like, we're going to trip them up with their own religion. Their so own I, God's I think laws. that's actually on purpose. Pardon me? This essentially saying... Oh, yeah. Series of, well, I think it's God double tapping something, you know? Like, uh, amen, amen. You know, it's yeah. like uh -huh. God's putting the seal on this. this what's, and what's interesting is. Demonstration of how to act if you're in this situation. Yeah, but don't forget, you haven't forgotten, but if I were in this situation, God would have to give me the wherewithal to be able to approach it like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Because I know me well enough to know that unless he was with me inside and out, I would shy away from a situation like this. I would shy away from the situation with Daniel. I'm certain so, he was with Daniel. Absolutely. And with Meshach and Abednego. Oh yeah, there he was. And that's the only way they made it through because they lived a life of faith in God, so when they got to the really hard part, they came through it because of their faith in God. Because there's God blessed more them. more to it than that. And right. I, just, I mean, there's got to be some inspiration. What do you mean? Well, so you're looking in the fiery furnace. How many cats were in there? Right, but they didn't know that. There were four cats in there. But not until they got in there. I understand that. But once they're in there, they're in there, right? Right. Okay, I, I mean, I'm missing you know, your point, Sam. I'm sorry. Uh, all right, so they're, they're keeping the faith, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. if you look at it, probably wasn't that, you know, I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to continue to pray to my God. All right, that might be a little bit stressful, okay, because <laughs> you're under the... the, the the hand of death, so to speak. Yeah, that's so, yeah, maybe that is stressful. But the really stressful part was being in that fire. That was the really stressful part. Right, until they knew it wasn't going to hurt. Exactly. When did that occur? Not Once until they after they in. got in there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's my point. Okay. God was with them during the really hard part. He was. But and I'm certain that they, well, it doesn't say this, but I'm certain that... Daniel's probably having a similar experience in the lines. Could very well yeah. be. And why did God support them so mightily? Why did he support Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And why did he support Daniel so mightily? But if you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you read testimony after testimony after testimony of Christians who were executed very painfully in many ways, yeah. burned at the stake, ripped, drawn and quartered, 
and it doesn't seem like God was with them necessarily the same way. He was with them, and they're in the heavens. We'll get to see them one day. But why was it that God was so blessing these men with such tremendous faith, these three men and Daniel, and they were saved from their situation? I, I, I don't hold them out special. God, God's glory. He was glorified. Yeah, he was exactly The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. And he had a very specific purpose for these gentlemen exactly that became right. part of his perfect authority. Well, who is the audience here? Pardon me? Who is the audience for this event? We are actually no. right now. Oh, yes. Who is the initial audience? Well, the kings. But this Darius. is through time. Yes. But it, I, I wondered, had we Darius heard going. the story? Pardon me? Had Darius heard the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It's very possible. Belshazzar had. Yeah. So you, it just made me think of, you know, when he's like, well, you know, maybe your God will save you. Kind of like if, yeah. he, if he had heard But I also think, that. imagine imagine the integrity of Daniel. Imagine the testimony of Daniel's life so that a king yeah. understood yeah. the integrity and realized there was something real in Daniel. There's something there that totally impresses me. It makes me want to ask questions. It makes me want to get closer to Daniel to talk to him more. There's something there. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, as a Christian myself, what do people think of me when, when they meet me? Do, does it strike them as, you know, I don't know. What, what do people... Daniel must have really had something because he's 80, almost 80. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a guy conceivably ready for the retirement home. Yet, <laughs> what does Darius do? He makes him like third in the kingdom. Yeah. A one of three. Yeah, so these guys knew. The satraps, they knew Daniel was God-fearing and did not worship idols. So they would be able to trap him right there. And the trap was set. And they also believed, by the way, yeah. very strongly that Daniel would remain true to his faith. So they're just setting the trap and Daniel's going to walk. He's going to walk straight into this trap. He's going to see it very clearly and walk right into it and be overtaken by it. And then we've won. We've got Daniel out of the picture. That leaves two governors and us satraps. And if we play our cards right, one of us satraps may become that third governor. So that's all this was about. They, they were not stupid men. They were blind, spiritually, but they were not stupid. All right, let's go here. So, Daniel 6, 6 to 9. Daniel's accusers exaggerated that. Notice when they went to the king, they said, all of us agree. Well, nobody asked Daniel. <laughs> nobody asked Daniel. And he was apparently in the room there. And he wasn't rude enough to sit there and say, um, King, Darius, uh, I don't agree with that. You think he was in the room? Well, it said when he left or went home. So he, that's probably how he did. Daniel had not agreed for one. Unfortunately, vanity, Darius believed their claim without even consulting Daniel. He didn't go around the room. And if Daniel wasn't there, he didn't seek him out and say, hey, what do you think about this? He yeah. didn't do it. So the plan catered to the king's own vanity, as I mentioned before. And the statute, check this out, apparently only affected the province of Babylon. This was only in effect in the province of Babylon. It would not impinge on the rest of the empire that Cyrus controlled or those he set up 
to control a specific area and report to him like he did Darius. Darius could do whatever he wanted as long as it supported Cyrus and his goals. And this was by no means anything that would be problematic. He was the ruler, Darius was the ruler of the Babylonian province. All right, and as we mentioned, other rulers dealt with that. Now, it's interesting because if you look at these satraps, these commissioners or governors, what they promoted was humanism, the philosophy that puts man in place of God. That's what's happening today in this world. Totally. I'll use the World Economic Forum again. That's just simply humanism. Those people are Luciferians. They won't, they won't call him Satan. They call him Lucifer because they thoroughly believe that Lucifer is the good guy and the God of the Bible is the bad guy. It's all reversed. But for right now, they see themselves as little gods. They really do. It's humanism on steroids. So he, he regarded, Darius regarded this act as a pledge of loyalty to himself. I wish I had all the words on the screen. Um, and their desire to respect his authority to the utmost. I'm going to have to adjust that for the next time. Daniel 10, 6, 10 to 15, the new decree did not stop Daniel from praying. Okay, this is a good point. Why? Isn't he supposed to obey the governor? Obey the government? If the government comes in and says to us, hey, look, uh, you know, we're going to have to shut down your church for a couple more months here, so we've got to do that. Aren't we supposed to obey? If the government comes in and says, uh, like they've been doing recently, you can't pray out in front of an abortion clinic. There's a gentleman who fa who's facing 11 years in jail right now because he was peacefully protesting in front of, on the sidewalk in front of an abortion clinic, not on their property, but on the public sidewalk, and he was kneeling in prayer. Well, now he's facing 11 years. The government decided, you're a criminal. You're a what criminal. government is this? The new decree, I forget what state that is. The new decree did not stop Daniel from praying. So he just kept praying. He just kept doing what he did. He was not going to allow the government to say, you can't read the scriptures, you can't pray, you got to just do what we want you to do. There will come a time probably that that's going to happen in various places throughout the world, including the United States. This form of persecution is not God's wrath, and I want to make that clear. This isn't God's wrath here. This is Satan's wrath. So Satan, and if you think about it, he used the same tools. He had the same idea with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which worked, even though he lost. So I'm going to try it again. Same thing. Same thing with Daniel. And, of course, Satan doesn't know that he's going to lose. He probably could figure it out, Daniel's prayers when he prayed here seem to be based on prophecies from Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14. And what's interesting is you'll note um, when we get to chapter 9, he's still reading the book of Jeremiah. And he's still studying texts from that book about the 70-year captivity, which is absolutely fascinating. And then all of a sudden he gets, when we get to chapter 9, then the angel comes and says, well, it's not quite 70, it's 70 times 7, and then we go from there. But we'll get there when we get there. Daniel refused to pray to the human king. He absolutely refused to do it. Why? Because it would have been idolatry. Yeah. It would have been sin. But he continued to pray to the only God. Why didn't he shut his shutters? That would have ended the problem. Because every day, he opened his shutters, and he prayed toward Jerusalem. Because that's what King David had said. 
And you can't read it, but it says, based on Psalm 55, 16 through 17. That's what's throughout the Psalms. I prayed daily. Three times a day, I faced Jerusalem. So Daniel was simply doing what he was taught as a young man. And to close the shutters would have been to try to cover what he was doing. It would have been the same as not doing it. So the colleagues had to see him actually. These guys are amazing. Yeah, they were probably standing there watching. Oh, they were. You can bet. They were just outside where he was praying, and they're just standing there. Oh, look, guys, guys, guys. There he is. He's, he's kneeling. Yes, yes. We got him. We knew it. So they had to see him violating the statute before they could report it to the king. So the fact that Daniel prayed with his window open, it's what he did every day, and it signified there's nothing hindering my prayers. There's nothing hindering my prayers. He wasn't trying to show off. He wasn't trying. He wasn't like one of the hypocrites who prays in the town square so that everybody can see him. He went and literally sequestered himself in his room, but he opened the window. So whose fault is this? Those satraps who were like, eavesdropping. Mm -hmm. So those against Daniel knew he would not alter his behavior. He knew they knew he wouldn't try to save himself. But consider the testimony of Daniel to these pagans. They don't realize what a stamp of approval and integrity they're giving him. They knew what he was going to do. They hated him for it anyway. So their hostility toward Daniel kept them blind to spiritual truth. They thought they were extremely smart. They thought, ah, we've got him now. So I guess the question for us is, maybe the statement, we can expect the world to react to us like this if we are living faithfully before God. I mean, it should make a difference, right? And sometimes I bemoan the fact that in my life it doesn't seem to make a difference. But it should make a difference. People should take note. People should know that there's something different about us. They may hate us for it, just like... These guys hated Daniel for it and wanted him out of the way because he was in their way of advancement. They didn't want to answer to him, so let's kill him. That's exactly what they tried to do. So the hostile colleague reminded the king of this decree. Can you imagine them? So syrupy. Oh, king. Oh, king, didn't you do the? Didn't you create this decree? That no one should pray to anybody except you for 30 days? Didn't you do that? Yes, I did. Oh, no. We've got bad news to report. That Daniel? Oh, that guy. I had such faith in Daniel. But he's, he's, he's broken your law, O king. I'm sure you'll have to do the right thing because the, Mede, the law of the Medes and the Persians which can't be altered. So they wanted him dead got out of the plans, and as soon, I, this poor guy Darius, you know, you, you have people around you, you think you trust, and then you realize, oh, they're just murderers. Yeah. So he, he was trying his best to do what he could to set Daniel free, and he couldn't do it. He had to follow through. And these satraps even reminded him, um, king, king, live forever, king. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> We're confused. You've got a statute that you created that can't be altered. Why aren't you following? They didn't say that. They implied it. 
because they wouldn't want to be seen as disrespectful. So if you compare this to Nebuchadnezzar, what was Nebuchadnezzar's reaction? Yeah. You what? He just got so mad. Then he turns to his people and says, make it seven times hotter. That's how mad he was. He wasn't interested in trying to save them. Darius was interested in trying to free his friend, yeah. Daniel. So, 16 to 18, Daniel was placed in the lion's den. And this is really interesting because it was probably up. The lion's den was down there. It was probably surrounded by a wall so that you couldn't accidentally fall into it. After they put him into it, and there were a number of ways that they had lion's dens back in those days, but um, Darius' final words to Daniel speak of his hope and potential faith in the God Daniel worship. It's yeah. fascinating what he says here, that he basically says, the God you serve, man, he, he, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. He will. That's why I wondered if he had remembered or had heard the story. Of it's very possible. It's very possible. Darius had tried and failed to save Daniel, so it was now up to God. And hopefully I can read this whole thing. Yes, I can. So God will often help his servants through difficulties, though there's no guarantee that our lives will be necessarily spared during increasing persecution from people and Satan. And as I mentioned Fox's Book of Martyrs before, if you've never perused that, if you've never read any of it, pick up a copy sometime because it's one example after another of how Christians over the centuries were literally killed for their beliefs. Literally killed for their beliefs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. You probably won't want to sit down and read a whole lot of it before you go to bed. You, you won't want to read a lot of it at one sitting because it, it, even though it's amazing, it's still a little bit depressing what they put Christians through just because they were Christians. Um, so in contrast to Nebuchadnezzar who showed zero compassion, but then again it was a totally different king. Nebuchadnezzar could make the laws and be above those laws. Darius had to obey the laws he made. Darius, though, had a very fitful night of no sleep. No sleep at all. He couldn't sleep. He wasn't interested in being entertained by musicians who would rock him to sleep with you know, pretty music. None of that. He may have prayed. We don't know. Text doesn't today. But he, we know that he was very concerned, very anxious over his friend's situation. And he could not wait until the morning to see what had occurred. And I'm sure he got up before the crack of dawn. It was probably still dark when he got up, but it still was called morning, which I think explains why he called out and said, Daniel, are you there? So he's uncertain. He calls out. He wanted to know if Daniel's God had been able to save him. If he had been able to see Daniel, he wouldn't have needed to ask this question, but it was probably dark. He didn't hear anything. No, the, certainly the lions weren't making any noise, I'm sure. Daniel was quiet. He may have been sleeping. Then he wakes him or whatever. And after greeting the king courteously, <laughs> here's Daniel amidst all these beasts whose mouths had been shut. And he still has the wherewithal the next morning 
to say, O King, live forever. So he explained very patiently, matter of factly, that God had sent that God had sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. And even though Daniel had violated the king's edict, Daniel was very careful to say, I didn't do anything against you, O King. Yeah. I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm sure he said that very, very respectfully. So when Darius had Daniel removed from the pit, he marveled that he was completely unscathed. Let me just stop for a moment and remind us about something. Daniel, in many ways, like Joseph, typified Christ. And I won't talk about Joseph right now, but there are many instances in his life where he typified Jesus. He was a type of Jesus. So was Daniel. Look at this. Here Daniel is falsely accused, just like Jesus, thrown into the pit and where he's expected to die. A stone is rolled over the mouth of it. The king signal, he uses a signal, signet ring excuse me, to seal it, and then they just wait. Jesus died on the cross after being falsely accused, was taken to a tomb, a stone was rolled in front of it. It was sealed. And even there, they gave uh, some Roman centurion soldiers to make sure nobody could steal the body. There's some, there's some really interesting parallels, and we can't go into all of them. But just understand that, that Daniel here is a type of Christ. And by the fact that he was taken out of the pit, really typifies, quote-unquote, his resurrection from the dead. Because everybody was expecting him to die. Maybe Darius wasn't. And I also think this is very interesting. Apparently, you only had to be in the lion's den for one night. If you survived, that was it. You could take out. It's just like somebody today, if they accidentally survive an execution attempt, often it's like, well, they survived it. So then it's, you know, the sentence has changed. So he's unscathed. 19 through 24, imagine the potential terror of yeah. the accusers. Wow. Imagine this. These guys were so thinking, we, we thought this through, we're going to trap him, he's going to be trapped, he's going to walk straight into that trap with his eyes open, he's going to be tossed in the lion's den, he's out of the picture. Yes! That's what they were thinking. The next day, they wake to the realization that Daniel survived completely intact, unhurt, nothing. So imagine them. Imagine their thinking. They're trying to backtrack, and they're trying to figure out uh, how can we make this good for ourselves. So, with this, Darius decides. Okay, he applied what's called lex talionis, or the law of retaliation, here, and he basically takes the accusers, and they were thrown into the same lion's pit. And before they reached the bottom, they were destroyed. Torn to shreds, bones broken, the whole thing. Now, sometimes we can sit there and go, okay, well, I get why they were thrown in. Why were the family members and the children thrown in? And unfortunately, sadly enough, that's often the way it was done in those days. If the head of the home was found guilty, that guilt was also passed on to the rest of the family. Remember, there was no real, you know, um, for them, for the Medes and Persians, they didn't care about the law of Moses. 
where it says, you know, the sins of the father shall not visit the sin of the sons. I don't know. There's been a time in uh, Jewish history where, uh, you know, they wiped out the entire clan. Some no. of the, uh, like some of the sins in the desert. Uh, and I'll have to do some research. But I'm yeah, because you're going to have to let me know exactly Reading what you're through about. the scripture again, I mean, there was an occasion where not only did they kill the heads of the household, they killed the entire family. Well, they did, and one of those was Korah's rebellion. And why was that? Because they all happened to be standing at the same location when the ground opened up and swallowed yeah, them. Exactly. But that wasn't necessarily. Um, Opposed to the law, it's just the way God dealt with it. And if God dealt with it that way, that's God's choice. Yeah. So 25 to 28, and we're almost done with this. So like Nebuchadnezzar, this is interesting, Darius also offered praise to Daniel's God. That's fascinating. I was reading this book, which is an interesting book. It's about. Uh, it's called The Book of Daniel, The Non-Prophet's Guide to the Book of Daniel. Anyway, he says... He says, Nebuchadnezzar, who seems to have missed heaven by only 18 inches. So he's probably one of those guys who doesn't necessarily think Nebuchadnezzar made it to heaven. We don't know for sure. I know we talked about that previously. He could be there. He might not be. I don't know. But then he says, Darius, whose praise of the Lord seemed to have been genuine and undivided. And then he talks about Belshazzar, who didn't give any praise to God, would not, would not submit himself to God, wouldn't repent, and God said, okay, fine. Boom. You're out. You're out of here. I think there's God's wrath poured out on him for, for using the vessels of the temple. Oh, well, that, that's a case of God's wrath. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, yeah. there, there, that's part of it. Oh, yeah. That was God's wrath. There's no doubt about it because it came directly from God. Yeah. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, that was God's uh, wrath. You know, God's tells you about that temple. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you go into the Holy of Holies and you ain't supposed to be in there, you die. Well, you touch which the Ark of the touch. Covenant, you ain't supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, you yeah. die. Yeah, but then you have to ask yourself, why did God let Nebuchadnezzar take all those things from the temple? He took it for safekeeping. That's very clear in the Scripture. Yes, but he still touched the Holy uh, Messes. Well. That's true. But So anyway, why? It's up to God. Totally. Well, you know, it's part of God's plan, too. I mean, you it know. Is. It is. Jerusalem is being sacked. The stuff's got to go somewhere. Oh, yeah, I agree with let's you. I'm just a, saying, it's just a fascinating to me. king that will respect it enough to... Right. It's just fascinating. Nebuchadnezzar was a sinner. He didn't believe in God at all, and yet God lets him pass. Yeah, so it's, it's totally up to God. He's touchy about his things. He is. So Darius ordered his subjects to do the same. And this is fascinating when we get to this. The last couple of verses here. It is though God, if you look at this through Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, God is giving two live witnesses to his people of Israel. So Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, those are witnesses to these people who are captives and have been taken from their Jerusalem homeland and now live in a foreign land. Both monarchs testified to the living and eternal God's unshakable sovereignty, unshakable grace and power in heaven and on earth. And sometimes I wonder about myself. Do I, do I think that highly enough all the time of where God is in his position over the entire creation? Or, or do I worry too much about what humans are trying to accomplish? God's either in charge 100% of the time where he's not in charge at all. So where is my thinking and 
how do I make sure that I can do what Darius did and understand that God's sovereignty, grace, and power is continually exercised over this earth, regardless of how things may look to me. So that's something to consider. Um, the last verse of the chapter highlights that Daniel prospered during the reigns of Darius over the province of Babylon and eventually too Cyrus, which we'll get into in a bit, over the entire Persian Empire. Daniel started off this chapter prospering. He went through a really rough situation here that none of us would like to go through. He came out unscathed because of God's choice and because I think also of his faith in God. And then he prospered at the end. So this is not, obviously not the end of Daniel. Daniel is still going on for a number of chapters here. But this is something important. It, the more faithful we are to God, I think the more opportunity yeah. we're going to have persecution. Because that's how God wins souls. He uses the persecution that Satan will bring our way, just like he did with Job. None of that was God's wrath on Job. It was all Satan. But God allowed it. Why did God allow it? For a purpose. And so what's our purpose? If we remain true to our testimony and to God, we will have persecution. And that persecution is designed to perfect us. I don't like it. I don't. Who sits there and goes, man, I cannot wait for the next Storm. bit of persecution I'm going, that's going to be so cool. Nobody says that. But what we need to keep throwing back on here is Jesus has overcome the world. And regardless of the outcome he chooses for us, we can overcome in him. And it just happens to be within Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God overcame in a way that completely spared their lives, their physical lives, from harm or death. Same with Daniel. Same with Daniel. That may not be the case for us. But we can still, through faith, overcome the situation. And I do like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. We don't have to follow you, O king. And whether God can save us or not, we think he can. But even if he decides he's not going to doesn't matter. He's still going to save us out of the situation from underneath your thumb. Alright. Next time. Daniel 7 deals with the visions of the four beasts and it touches back to chapter 2. So if you want to over the next couple of weeks um, go and read chapter 7 and then go back and familiarize yourself with chapter 2. That'd be good. We're going to talk about and, and by the way, this chapter 7 goes back to Belshazzar during his first year as king of Babylon, as the grandson. So what do these beasts represent? We're going to find out. Daniel sees the vision of the Ancient of Days. We all know who this is. Imagine how scary that would have been to see. That would have been freaky. And there are many times in the book of Daniel where he's like, I was like a dead man. John is the same way in the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. I, I can't imagine seeing the Ancient of Days and then still being able to stand up. I can't imagine that. I don't know how Moses did it, except God was with him in tremendous grace and God had his purposes. Finally, Daniel's visions are given an interpretation. So we're going to go over that next time. Any questions or comments?